Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Our next guest is a pro-dom who identifies as an ethically polyamorous primal wolf daddy. They are the co-founder of SoCal Creatures and Quen Lei, as well as the current mistress of ceremonies for DomCon Los Angeles. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. Well, hello, everybody. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. And today we have a very special guest, Wiley Wolf. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, Wiley Wolf, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to our audience, please? Yes, absolutely. Um, My name is Wiley Wolf. I am a professional and lifestyle dominant and ethically polyamorous primal wolf daddy based in Los Angeles. Um, I tend to go by title-wise mistress or daddy, as uh, I've said. Um, I am gay and genderqueer. Um, although I do typically use she, her pronouns, I'm also good with they, them, or honestly, no pronouns at all, you know, kind of whatever anybody wants to use for me. I've been in the kink community for about five years now. I work primarily at Sanctuary Studios LAX. I am also uh, the co-founder of SoCal Creatures, which is an inclusive pet play group in Los Angeles, as well as Quench LA, which is an LGBTQ plus munch for kinksters. Um, I am also the uh, DomCon LA Mistress of Ceremonies 2020 and now 2021. Thanks, COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. I, I... I really love that you actually have this profile up of you on Sanctuary because it says so much about you and your introduction just shows us how involved you are just in the whole kink leather scene. And um, it really seems like it's a big part of of who you are, would you say? Absolutely. It's my 24-7 lifestyle. I live it, breathe it. My house is full of BDSM furniture, the whole bit. Um, Absolutely. Well, we have so much to talk to you about today, but I did want to kind of start off a little bit about your origins. You're you're in your 20s. Did you say your age was 26, 27? Yes, I'm 26. Yes, I always forget, but I am 26. (laughs) So you're not originally from Los Angeles, is that right? That's right. No, I'm originally from um, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, okay. So what got you out here in the first place? Uh, To be honest, my more vanilla work. So without getting too much into it, um, in the vanilla world, I work in um, film and TV. So LA is kind of the place to be for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I came out here for that. um, But I've found such a wonderful kink and queer community out here that um, it's been incredibly rewarding. Yeah, definitely. Welcome to Los Angeles. Um, (laughs) So you said you identify as gay or or genderqueer. When did you figure that out for yourself? Right. Well, the gay side was very early on. Um, I was in like, I mean, I don't know, I could trace it all the way back to preschool. Like I used to have very specific uh, friends that I would fixate on and, you know, 
of course, female. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I'd really want to be friends with somebody. Um, I figured out that I was gay or in some way queer when I was in about third grade. I fell in love with my best friend, as we do. And uh, I remember I had to look up the phrase like girls kissing girls because I didn't even know what that was. Like I just had the image in my head and I had to figure out sort of what that image meant and what I was feeling and like find the words for it. And then from there, it was sort of a long journey towards accepting that, you know, I tried to pretend I was bisexual for a while. I am not. Um, And slowly kind of uh, learned to accept myself as uh, the gay dyke that I am. So yeah, Um, on the genderqueer side, that's a little bit more recent as we've started to accept all these new terms for gender that's really allowed me to think deeper about my own gender identity in a way that i wasn't able to you know when i was growing up because words like non-binary gender queer gender fluid etc were just kind of not um at least in arizona i don't know about la but at least in arizona those words were not out there it was tomboy lesbian you know Mm -hmm. you've got butch stem stud the, the lesbian terminology but that's kind of it uh, so now that these words are being more, you know, widely used and more accepted, I was able to really think about it. Um, mm-hmm. And turns out I'm not cis, and I'm proud to not be. Not, not any, you know, issue if anybody is. Um, but I'm, I'm proud to uh, feel at home in that identity. So I do want to ask you a little bit about like your own personal emotional journey with accepting yourself. But I do want to maybe clarify some of these terms for maybe some listeners who are listening and have no idea about the the whole terminology. I mean. I come from a very conservative family, and whenever I bring up those terms, a lot of them look at me like I'm speaking another language. (laughs) Yeah. So my first question to you about that would be your choice to use the term uh, a gay for yourself versus lesbian or any other term for that matter to describe your, your sexuality. Is there a distinct reason why you choose specifically gay? Yeah, um, I think it's fun that you picked up on that. (laughs) It has a lot to do with my gender, I think. Um, When I was younger, I didn't necessarily know that that was why. I always just kind of said, I don't know, I feel more at home with gay. Well, it's because I don't 100% identify as a woman, right? Okay. Uh, So it just feels like a more, to me, gender neutral-ish or at least maybe even masculine leaning expression of my homosexuality Mm -hmm. so i feel more at home in it i'm not going to be offended if somebody calls me a lesbian that's also fine Uh, but when i'm self-identifying i like to say gay because it just feels like um yeah a little bit more more masculine which is kind of how i feel inside so it just felt better to me got it that's really interesting that you you say that because of the fact that you didn't identify necessarily or weren't sure about how you identify, you know, gender-wise that gay was, I guess, a more of an accurate term for yourself that you identified with. So that's really interesting. Um, now, the the cis thing, whether or not you're, you're cisgendered, what brought you to that understanding recently? About whether or not, about the fact that I wasn't? Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever really felt a hundred percent, you know, cisgender female. I was actually just talking to my partner the other day about this. We had like this really long talk about gender. And I guess for me, there's just certain elements of the the female experience, um, you know, apart from just, you know, talking about boys, which I of course didn't really do. Um, but just uh, those like kind of quintessential feminine capitalistic almost experiences of like doing each other's makeup, you know, braiding mm. hair, playing with certain dolls, like all that kind of stuff 
just did not speak to me at all. And I feel incredibly disconnected from those kinds of experiences. So I never really felt 100% at home in that. Um, I was kind of the person who was hanging out with the guys, but then also wanted to fuck the girls. So who knows, honestly. Uh, So it was kind of complicated. Uh, Back then, I was able to just kind of use the word tomboy, right? And that sounded fine to everyone around me. So that was okay. But as I got older, I always just really felt um, not quite 100% feminine, I guess, and not quite 100% connected to those feminine experiences all the time. Not that I necessarily connected to the male experiences either. And I think that's the thing that's really interesting about being somewhere on the non-binary spectrum is that you kind of just feel in between, right? Like you right. don't hundred yeah, like you don't a hundred percent fit into one camp. You don't a hundred percent fit into the other one either. You kind of take a little bit of both and it's sort of confusing. Um, and at the time I just sort of was like, okay, I'm a tomboy. I got older. Then I said, okay, I guess I'm just gay or I'm a lesbian or I'm a dyke or whatever. And then everyone was like, okay, cool. That's why you're more masked sometime. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and I kind of left it at that. <laughs> but now I've been able to think a little bit more about it and realize that it's not just my sexuality. It's also a little bit about my gender, which is interesting. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting too because I think so much of society wants to put us in boxes of their own understanding, things that they can wrap their head around and sometimes you know it's just like you know you don't have to understand everybody, you know, you don't have to understand everything to accept it. And that's one thing that I tell some of my more traditional conservative friends from back home. It's like, well, you don't have to understand what gay or cis or or non-binary or gender fluid. You don't have to understand all of the ins and outs of that to accept it for somebody else like that that's how they identify, you know. Eventually, yeah, I think educate yourself on it, but at the same time, you know, I learn new things all the time and I I hear uh, you know, different things every day and I'm just like, "Oh, okay. If that's how you identify, like that's how you identify. Like who am I to question who you are?" Absolutely. You know. Um so when you were growing up, I mean, you said you, what you were like in preschool or something? Yeah, I mean, I really honed in on it in about third grade. But if you trace it back, I don't think there was a time in which I was not very gay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Um, so as as you're growing up, I mean, what, were there any shame tied to this discovery of yourself? Like, were you afraid to come out as that for yourself? <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) I am absolutely a recovering Catholic, um, which does inform Mm. some of my kink. Um, Wow. Welcome to the club. I'm I'm Catholic, too. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Great. Good. Good to be amongst friends. Yes. So, (laughs) yeah. So my parents are um, conservative Christians. My mother's from Wisconsin, you know, whole bit. Um, so I did not come out until to them, at least until I was like in college away from the home. Um, there was definitely a lot of shame around it, um, not to get too kind of intense, but my, you know, my mom once told me if I was gay, it would break her heart at the time I already knew. And I was like, oh no. Um, so I, I definitely held it in for quite a long time. Um, even though I had come out to some friends, I didn't come out to my parents until much later for that reason. Yeah, I I can totally identify with that. I didn't come out to my family until I left for college because I was almost afraid that they might kick me out. Like, I wasn't even sure, you know, how they would react to it. And I remember growing up and my mother telling me, um, and I I guess on this podcast, I demonize my mother a lot. I love my mother, (laughs) but (laughs) 
for all of the listeners out there who only hear the bad things. But no, she's a great mother. It's just, this is how she was brought up and she was trying to bring me up the best way that she knew how. But I remember being like six, seven, eight years old and she would be like, you know, being gay is the worst sin that you could possibly commit. And at the time, I didn't even understand what gay was. I had to ask my friends, what does gay mean? And I remember... In fourth grade, someone told me, oh, it's like when a boy kisses a boy or a girl kisses a girl. And I thought, whatever, that doesn't even happen. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. Little did I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, um, I guess we have to have the Catholic talk now because. Perfect. <laughs> so in your own understanding and, and belief in spirituality, your whole journey with that, where does that stand with you now? I mean, do you. Do you believe in a, a higher power or God or, or, you know, where are you with that? Well, I think that the best term would be some kind, somewhere between spiritual and agnostic, right? Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe in energy connecting all of us. I believe that there is, you know, some greater force that is that connective tissue. Do I believe that there's um, a big man with a beard in the sky? Not necessarily. I'm not you know, again, not docking anybody who does, that's totally fine. And whatever your beliefs are, are valid. Uh, But I do not prescribe to the Christian belief in any way that is not blasphemous now. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah. So, (laughs) wow. Um, Wow. I don't even know where to begin. Uh (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot in it. There's so much in it. So, okay, when when you were coming out, and, and I wonder if you still have any of this in you, were you afraid to come out or to accept yourself as gay or, or genderqueer for the sake of, oh, no, I might be going to hell if I, if I accept that for myself based off of your Catholic upbringing? Oh, you know, not necessarily. That was not the fear so much. I think that by the time I, I came out, I had already distanced myself from the Catholic faith because I was not accepted there. Um, mm. So I don't know if this would be a trigger warning or not, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, because this is talking about like me in church Bible school times. So I don't know if that would be triggering or not. Okay. Um, but like I remember going to a Bible study. I think it was some kind of away camp. And they had this whole sermon about homosexuality as they do. And that was, of course, really difficult for me. And then you would always go back to like your homeroom and kind of have this sort of like almost like a confessional time, but with the whole group and everyone would pray for you and people would cry because you're telling deep secrets or whatever. And And I finally that time said, you know, I'm I think I'm interested in girls. And I was really looking for that that love and acceptance, you know, that it's okay kind of thing. Cause it was the first time I think I'd said it really out loud to anyone who was not um, already involved with me, if you know what I mean. So, and they all came around and hugged me and then they prayed for me to um, be released from my confusion. And that was when I left. So wow. that was wow. way before I came out. That was still in high school. Um, so by the time I actually came out, I was already like, ah, if, if there's a hell I'm going to it. And I guess that's fine. Um, I was also doing some other things during that time that would have probably landed me there anyway. So it's kind of, it was kind of less of a thing. I was more upset about being either ostracized from family, disappointing family, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, you're, you're saying it so, uh, not, not matter of factly, but I mean, you're, you're, when you're telling that story right there, I mean, I'm almost in tears right now because 
I've had that similar experience and I wonder how many of the listeners right now are, are, you know, hearing this story and having had that same experience where you go to your church who is supposed to have like this welcoming, loving, understanding attitude towards you. And then you go to seek that love and acceptance and instead you get, let's pray that you change because you're going to go to hell. Right. But how strong you were to be like, I'm leaving now. Yeah, that was the end of it. I mean, I was just like, okay, I think we're done here then. (laughs) I remember there was this retreat that we went to as kids and these like hardcore, like, I don't want to stereotype, but they like, like a gangbanger kind of type people came in. And I don't know if they were trying to be like cool or whatever, but they were like guest speakers. And I remember they pointed to the girl next to me, sitting next to me. And they're like, you, you like, you like guys, right? And she was like, um, yeah, like, and there was like this whole, you know, a crowd of kids there. And she's like, there's a group of people out there that will turn you gay and make you like girls. And I was like, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's Wiley Wolf. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is a witch hunt. That's you know? so hardcore. Wow. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I'm sure we could talk about the whole Catholic experience more, but let's let's move on. Otherwise, we'll be here for another hour. <laughs> no kidding, right? Catholic trauma runs deep. Gosh, wow. Okay, so, I mean, where are you with your family and, and friends now? Oh, we're good. I mean, I, I surround myself now with friends that accept me, so that's not an issue. Um, with family, we are good. They have met my current partner, which has been really beautiful. As far as my parents, um, they still are kind of iffy on coming out to the whole family. But honestly, most of my family is either old or past by now. Hmm. So I don't know how much it matters. Um, but my, my parents have met my current partner and have been really lovely to her which I'm very thankful for. Um, I don't share my kinky life. I don't share my polyamorous life at this time. It doesn't really seem like something I need to put on them, um, mm. but they they do at this point, um, I would say more or less accept um, the the queer thing, which I appreciate, but it's been, it's been a bit of a road. Now, I wonder how do your, your parents react to, or how do they refer to your partner? Do they say your friend still, or is it like, oh, your partner or girlfriend? They or... just say her name now, which okay. is fine. <laughs> I'll, okay, I'll take cool. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were saying friend for a second, and I I shut it down so quick because I'm just beyond this at this point and past it. Like, we're not, I'm not here for it anymore. I'm like, you will not talk to her, talk about her like that. You know, I'm just, no, she's not my friend. Please get it right. Um, and you know, it's been a couple of years, but now they, they just say your name, which is, which is okay. I so badly want to do that, do this where, uh, you know, I, my family calls my partner still my friend. And I so badly one day want to be like, you mean my sex toy, the person that I have sex with all the time. I love that. <laughs> I don't think my parents could handle that, but go you, you know, <laughs> I'll never do it, but I just want to do it so bad. It's so good. <laughs> Um, so how how did you meet your current partner? Uh, at, at Sanctuary, actually. Uh, we worked together. So, oh, okay. Yeah, nice and uh, dangerous, but it worked out. Now, were they a client or, or, or oh, they you worked together. So were they there before yeah, you? Yeah, she, she was also working there. Um, and uh, yeah, she was, I think she was working there maybe a little while before me. So how did this come about? I mean, you guys just decided 
hey, there's no clients right now. Let's hook up. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. It was such a, such a game, honestly. Um, <laughs> so initially our first like kind of point of contact was uh, one of the DomCon LAs, I guess a couple, maybe few years ago now. Um, my, one of my really good friends from Arizona was coming into town. She wanted someone to, you know, hit her at a party. And I was like, it needs to be this girl because she's the hottest one there. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, my, plan was to, to, you know, just facilitate a scene with a nice, beautiful woman. Um, it actually never happened. She still hasn't hit her, which I think is a shame. And eventually it will happen. Um, but that was kind of how we started talking. Um, I showed her, I think, a photo of me for some reason, I think, because I was looking for some validation of my daddy side with kind of everybody at the DomCon booth just for fun and showing mm -hmm. off a photo shoot I had just done. She saw the photo, freaked out, and my little gay heart went, oh, I think I think I can, I think I can do something here. And uh, we continued from there and uh, went on a couple little dates. And then um, it was all sort of a like, nice long journey from there. How cute. That's yeah. so cute, though. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I've always... Um... I always thought it was funny, like thinking about like kinky people going on dates because, like, I wonder what some people think. They're like, "Oh, what's a kinky date look like? Does it just mean like whipping and chains right from the start?" Well, kind of. <laughs> I mean, okay. So to be fair, <laughs> wait a second. I thought this was gonna be a <laughs> no. Okay, so to be fair, <laughs> um, our first date, kind of ish, our first uh, out of the dungeon sort of experience was me getting her to go to LA Pride. So that's like. Mm, already a thing. Our second okay. <laughs> encounter was me taking her to a flogging class and then doing a scene with her, um, mm. like a wax impact scene. Um, <laughs> and then another one was like a kinky photo shoot. I'm kind of going out of order. And then after that, she was gone for a month and we were just talking, you know, long distance. And then she came back and we were off to the races, you know. So yeah, I mean, one of the first questions I asked her <laughs> when I asked her if we could like, you know, go out or whatever, was if she would allow me to um, do a very explicit scene with her on stage. <laughs> so kind of, <laughs> it's kind of that, but it's not always that. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so I do want to ask you, you, you've referred to yourself as daddy a few times. And I'm I wonder if you can explain that to, to us. You, I guess it doesn't have anything to do with like the same explanation of you identifying as gay versus lesbian or vice versa. Sort of. So uh, daddy is kind of the main identity that I like to give myself uh, that I identify with in the kink community. Um, I do identify as a mistress, but daddy feels like the most at home to me. Um, when somebody calls me daddy or refers to me as daddy, all the sparks go off. Mm -hmm. um, my partner is the only one allowed to use that as an actual title for me, but still, you know, when I hear it, it, it feels like it's really me. Um, it's not necessarily the same thing as gay, um, you know, okay. <laughs> um, but it is the way in which I move through the kinky world and the way that feels the most true to me, I would say. So if you're using both, like mistress and daddy, what are the, like, what's different between mistress and daddy for you that hits all the right spots and makes right. sparks flare? Mistress is something I use mostly with clients or for those who don't really want to engage with a more masculine-esque figure. 
Um, I still like it, but it doesn't bring the sparks in the same way that Daddy does. Um, Sir also uses good sparks too, so I do use that title too. Um, <laughs> it feels more in line with the kind of uh, semi-masculine, protective guardian who's also going to make sure that you uh, <laughs> do everything you're supposed to do and will discipline mm-hmm. you if necessary, right? Got it. Got it. I think for a lot of people, this might be the first time they've heard someone who doesn't identify as like a cisgendered male use the word daddy um, (laughs) or sir. Um, So I just want to like put it out there for audience members, like surprise, it's used everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Honorifics. Um, I remember the first time I heard it used outside of that, you know, spectrum for me was, um, have you ever seen Battlestar Galactica? Of course. I yeah, <laughs> that's actually why I first adopted Sir was oh, for really? that reason, because they, you know, use that for uh, non-cis men as well. That is so cool. I remember watching it and I was like, oh, well, of course you they could use that. Like, why didn't I ever think of that before? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And for me, it's all about queering it, you know, because, yeah, daddy is traditionally, you know, the Tom of Finland, cis male leather daddy. OK, that's what a lot of people think about to right. queer that and to kind of turn it on its head and say, I don't have to be that in order to embrace this archetype is powerful. It's vulnerable. Right. Um, we're claiming something that's like typically withheld from us by vanilla culture and gender roles. Right. And it allows me to then live freely and authentically. So I I find that to be really powerful. Yeah, I really love that. I mean, for so long, I think like the leather community and the kink community has sort of been like an FU to normalcy, you know, or at least society's projection of what normal is and kind of being like sexual rebels and revolutionaries, you know, and I think like, the further we go down this path, like the more and more we discover about ourselves. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it. And referring to people as sir or daddy, regardless of gender, regardless of whatever binary people try to project onto us, it's further like F you to the rest of society being like, look, I can just, I can still fuck shit up. Like, absolutely. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I describe yeah. that as articulately. No, as that's like. absolutely right. I mean, it's the same way that, you know, anybody can identify as mommy, right? There's right. no, the only meaning that a word has is the meaning we assign to it. So within queerness, within BDSM, we can assign meaning as we wish. We can break down what is typical and we can kind of create our own reality in the way that feels most comfortable and validating to us. And that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about your kink and leather side. Uh, So would you, I guess I have to ask you is, do you identify more as leather, more as kink or are they kind of synonymous for you? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I would say that I am at the beginning of my leather journey. So at this point, um, I have a friend who once used the phrase leather-minded, and I kind of like that for me right now. The reason for that is because, again, I feel like I'm at kind of the beginning of the journey. I love the, the history of leather. I love the traditions. I love the, you know, um, all the ethics and morals around it. Mm-hmm. But I'm still at the beginning. I haven't really found a home in it that allows me to say, okay, here I am. I feel valid in this community. I feel valid in this place that I found, I, in this these people that I'm found. And I think that I could call myself leather confidently. I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I would like to be there, 
but I think I'm still at the beginning of learning more about the leather community, learning more about the different spaces and feeling really at home in it to the point where I feel that I could use that as an official descriptor of me, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I do want to know about your first experience being into kink, but since we're on the topic of leather, um, I do want to kind of pick your brain a little bit about that. Uh, You said you're at the beginning of your your leather journey, and from what it seems, leather for you is is that like kind of sense of community? Is that what I'm getting? I think on on a certain level, yes. I think it's community, but then also you know, the principles, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> living your life in a, in a specific way and embracing that lifestyle. But for me, I also think that at this point anyway, I need that community aspect as well, um, more so to feel validated in that that title for myself, if, the, if that makes any sense at all. Got it, got it. Um, okay, cool. So hmm, how do I ask this without going like whole like diving straight into it. Um, (laughs) Okay, as someone who does not identify as the traditional cis white male, as many of us do not in the leather community these days, have you found any struggles or difficulties trying to engage yourself within the leather community in, in some spaces? And is that partially why you feel like maybe you're still at the beginnings of this leather journey for yourself? I absolutely think so. I would say that one of the biggest reasons is because I don't necessarily feel that most of the leather spaces are for me, right? Mm. I feel that most of the leather spaces that I've at least interacted with, granted that's not all of them, but at least with the ones that I've personally interacted with, they feel like they are for uh, gay men or men, Okay. Um, whether that's cis or not, I would say, um, more so cis, of course. So it's difficult sometimes to access those spaces. I'm still looking for the queer or you know women's or et cetera friendly home that feels like mine, um, like I belong there. Because I also don't want to infringe on anybody's space, but I definitely don't feel 100% accepted into all the spaces. Right. So that's definitely part of, of what it is. I, you know, so that, that's something that definitely uh, holds me back a little bit. So I'm curious to know, where was the first, like, quote unquote, leather space that you've ever stepped into? And what was your experience like that first time? I am not going to say the name of the space, because what I'm going to say is not nice. Um, So I will I will say that it was a contest, um, a, a leather title contest. Mm-hmm. And I went alone because I was going to know somebody who was going to be there, but then they ended up not showing up, but I was already there. So it's like, okay, well, you know, fuck it. I'll go in. Um, it was predominantly, you know, uh, cis men, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, no one looked at me. No one spoke to me. I sat in a corner. No one acknowledged me. It was like, I did not exist for the entire contest. And I was watching this contest and it was kind of like looking through, um, a glass window into a community that, was rich and wonderful that I would love to be part of, but somehow I couldn't get in the door. Hmm. And that was really interesting. And it's one of the reasons why I've created all the different spaces that I've already created and want to create more because I don't want anyone else to feel like that. So, but that was definitely the first experience I had, which was really jarring, right? Nobody wants to feel like there's nobody like them in the room. Nobody wants to feel like they can't access a community that they maybe should be able to access. So that was the first experience. I've had more positive experiences since then um, and have created 
spaces since then. But that was the first. So were you surprised by that experience? Or did you kind of have an inkling that that's what it was going to be like? I thought it might be a little bit, but the severity of it was really um, surprising. So I I kind of felt that I would probably be a little bit of a fish out of water and I was kind of ready for that, but I wasn't ready for no one to even look at me. That that's kind of another level, right? It's one thing to be like, okay, I'm going to be kind of awkward in the space and I might have to do some extra reaching out to like talk to anybody. Okay. But when no one even sees you, that's something different. Right. Wow. Wow. And I'm not going to, you know, sit here and and ask us to try to solve a problem right now, because that's probably not going to happen over this podcast, at least not in the short time that we have together. But I I would like to know, had things gone, if if you were to go back into that situation again, uh, what are one or two things that you would like to have seen done differently that may have changed the experience for you? Well, one of the things that I always have done at the events that I throw now, partially because of this, is I have a volunteer, at least one volunteer, designated as a welcome person. Mm. Um, And our pet play events, we call them the emotional support animal. And And their job is to look for people who look uncomfortable, look for newbies, look for the person who's sitting in the corner and be the one to go up to them and say, hi, can you know, What's your name? Here's my name. Would you like me to introduce you to anybody? Um, just having that person there can make a huge difference. It can get mm-hmm. somebody off the wall, right? Um, so that I think that that's really important at a base level. Yeah, I mean, I remember moving to LA for college and my first time just walking into a gay bar period, you know, just sitting in the corner by yourself. You don't know anybody. And in some ways, it can kind of feel like clicky like yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that was your it's experience scary. But... it's scary it's intimidating everybody knows each other and you don't really know how to get in and that's not always because there's a diversity issue although that can be the case mm-hmm. that's why I think just I would advocate for as many events as possible having a welcome wagon person just someone to say hey you know that can really really make the difference that's really cool. What are, you know, now that we're there, what are some of the spaces or events or, or what have you that you've created on your own? Right. So those are the two that I, that I mentioned at the beginning, um, SoCal Creatures, which is focused on pet play, and then uh, Quench LA, which is uh, focused on LGBTQIA plus kinksters. And it's like a munch, uh, currently more of a meetup on Zoom. Um, we some, sometimes host workshops as well. Okay, cool. Um, and I'll ask you this more at the end, but you know, um, how can we find out about these events? Do you have like a website or something like that? Yes. So uh, Quench is mainly Instagram based at this point, uh, as well as FetLife based. Um, on Instagram, it's just at Quench LA. And then SoCal Creatures has a website, SoCalCreatures.com. And then we also have an Instagram at SoCal Creatures. We're, we're found everywhere else too. We have a Discord, all that jazz, but you can find most of it from uh, the Instagram or the website. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, now that we kind of covered leather, let's talk about kink. What was your first kink experience like? I mean, whether or not you even knew it was kinky. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> where do I, which, which, I don't know. All right, so I'm going to kind of say two things. The first thing being, I think my core kind of cardinal kink 
Um, when I say that, I mean the thing that was sort of always a thing, even when I was a kid, was the primal identity. So from a primal standpoint, that really just means that I'm getting in touch with the instinctual uh, animalistic soul within, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're all kind of animals if you think about it. You know, humans are animals too, um, but it's just connecting with that inside. A lot of times people who identify as primal will pick an animal or two that they feel a particular affinity towards because it helps feel that it helps you to feel that animal energy when you're connecting it to what you see as a wild animalistic creature, right? Mm-hmm. And there can be other reasons too, but that that's a base one. So for me, no surprise it is the wolf um so when i was when i was a kid i would like howl and stuff and be very wolfy and that was definitely a thing um the other thing i will say as far as my first kink experience would be the first kink scene i did um i went to my first play party um the reason i went to my first play party is i was looking for um some juicy things for a script i was writing at the time and i was very interested i know and i am never one to leave without like having an experience and there was a taster booth going on where there was this guy with a saint andrew's cross he was doing impact of different kinds and i was like okay cool i i'd like to not leave before i have done that just to have that experience um <laughs> when i started out i did start out as a submissive and a switch and then moved on to a dominant so um, I was happy at the time to bottom. Um, I <laughs> went up to him. I was like, I would like you to hit me with things on this cross. He says, okay. <laughs> um, what would you, and I, I don't know, this is not good practice, but I did not know anything about saying limits and, you know, et cetera. So <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, hit me with everything, tie me to the cross so I can't move and just hit me with everything. And he was like, okay, wait a second. I do not slow down. I do not, I do not chill. <laughs> this wait is what second. it is. Hold on. Is this the, wait, okay. Have you ever been to any kind of like sex play party before? Or is this like- No, first- this was my first experience. <laughs> so, wow. Okay, wait a How brave of you to be like, you know what? Like, just give it all to me. Like- <laughs> I did not know what I was asking for. (laughs) Let's be honest. Yeah. So he's like, do you like thuddy, stingy? I didn't know what that meant. So I said, yes. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, you want to be tied up? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you want to be tied so tight you can't move? I say, sure. Um, So I'm basically suspended on the St. Andrew's cross. Never been tied so much to a St. Andrew's cross since. So I don't know. Um, And he hit me with everything. So all the different paddles he had, all the floggers, he whipped me like, Wow. So (laughs) I did that whole thing. And I just remember looking through the cross um, as I'm screaming bloody murder. And I just see these two girls with their drinks, just casually watching, not a care in the world, as I'm just going through this intense experience. And I remember thinking, wow, what am I doing? What is this place? I would like to know more. Uh, (laughs) So that was the first foray. And the next day I uh, made a fat life. (laughs) Oh, wow. Was, I mean, I guess this might be a dumb question because you were the person that literally like be like, tie me up. But after that experience, when you got home, like what were, what was going on in your head? Was it like, wow, this was amazing. I want to find out more. Or was it like, shit, what did I just get myself into? I want to know more. And now I'm like, who knows where this is going to take me? Oh, no, it was great. I was, I was pretty much all in. I mean, so I was with a friend um, who was also, it was also her first time. Um, and we, you know, had bruises afterwards. She had a friend who was kinky and, mm. you know, we sent photos to her and she gave us a lot of validation. So it felt positive. 
Uh, okay. Also, I'll say the guy that did the taster booth was really nice and uh, checked up on me the next day and was like very kind without being pushy or anything. Wow. So it was a positive experience, even though I would say that I should have been a little chiller the first time, but it was still good for me. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was positive. I just I was very interested in knowing more about the community after that. Wow, that is so hot. <laughs> I think so too. That's what I think. <laughs> I think you definitely have uh, like maybe a, a higher threshold for for that kind of pain stuff. I remember the first time I got paddled, I was bent over at a leather bar and this guy was like, well, what kind of paddles do you like? And in my mind, I'm like thinking, oh, just like get me with everything you've got. Right. And he kept going more and more and more. And finally he pulls out this big paddle. I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. He hits me. I'm like, oh my God, too much. <laughs> that, I found my threshold. <laughs> That's totally fair. Yeah. I, I think my threshold occurred at the whip. Um, I am now, I was for a long time was really hesitant about whips after that. Cause he did like break skin, which was a lot for me. I think that wow. was the end of the scene, but it was okay. You know, no, uh, permanent harm done. Just a little bit of, ow, oh, okay, didn't expect to have a cut. Um, right. So, you know, you don't really want to do that on someone you're just doing a taster booth with, personally, but uh, more power to them. So where are you now with the whole, um, like, flogging scene now? I mean, do you do flogging and whipping and paddling? Or do you get that done to yourself now? Uh, now I'm just a top. Okay. I'm a raging top. And that is most of what I do. I will occasionally bottom um, for like very long term partners for very specific things that I enjoy. So I enjoy bondage. I enjoy fire. I enjoy electricity. Everything else. No, thank you. I'm done. But I do <laughs> love to give floggings and, you know, do corporal punishment, impact, etc. on other people. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to, I'm literally going to type in your name right here, Wiley Wolf. And you guys, if you type in Wiley Wolf's name, you will see like a whole bunch of things. Um, but <laughs> Is that true? Oh, no. <laughs> I have, um, I see so many things here and I'm just going to go down the list and let's just talk about a few of them. I see bondage chain tape saran wrap caging leather belts ball busting chastity cigar play clothes pins corporal punishment degradation humiliation foot heels boot, boot worship latex worship nipple worship objectification pet play of all species uh blasphemy uh, <laughs> the list, there's a lot <laughs> it goes on and on uh it's so interesting uh out of all of these i mean besides the ones you mentioned what are some um of your highlights what like what are the things that you go to when you're when you're playing well i love i love a lot of bondage i really mm -hmm. do i'm i'm not a rope person but i do enjoy saran wrap very much i enjoy leather i enjoy doing things with belts with chains all that kind of fun stuff. Um, so I really love that. Pet play is a huge one. Uh, primal play is a huge one. Um, all the religious stuff, huge. Um, anything with you know power exchange, power play involved is is really big for me. I'm also a big wax lover. And then you've got all the all the impact stuff and electro. I have a lot of interests. It's easier to say what I don't like, to be honest. I'm not big into ABDL, <laughs> and I'm not really into um, like golden showers and that kind of thing personally full toilet training isn't really for me um okay 
everything else is on the table, more or less. Yeah, I, I, and it actually says your limits, and you just listed them. So yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, what What is religious blasphemy play? What does that look like? I've never heard of that before. Okay, great. <laughs> so <laughs> since we talked about uh, Catholicism before, I think that's great. <laughs> so part of my um, Christian recovery, I guess, is is this sort of religious blasphemy play. I only really do Christianity-based um, religious play, personally. Okay. So it's a it's a form of role play where you're twisting religious themes into, you know, their most sinful, as it were. So you're doing taboo role play based on Christian themes and experiences and mm-hmm. making them kinky. And that can be a lot of different things that can be triggering for some individuals to hear if you are religious. But um, I'm happy to talk more about it. Uh, but it it's very fun but it's basically taking those themes and then twisting them so i'm imagining like a confessional booth scene oh my god absolutely i want a confessional (laughs) booth so bad (laughs) okay i think we get the picture Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right so uh, we already know some of your your hard limits there i also see um let's see objectification what is what is that like for you Oh, it's treating somebody like an object, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're like, oh, you, you're a toaster, like that. <laughs> I would love someone to be a toaster for me. That sounds great. I mean, I was going more like ashtray, you know, footstool, oh, okay. table, yes. sushi centerpiece. Those are kind of like typical ones, right? Um, okay. But if you can be a toaster, be a toaster. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, does that play into like, uh, like the kind of humiliation play and, and stuff like that? It definitely can. Um, it can be about, you know, just sort of surrendering in service as something useful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or it can be something that's more degrading, like, oh, you're just a table or you're just a footstool and that's your only purpose. It can go kind of either way. So these are these are the people that are get off on, on, on the, the masochism of it. Is that a, right? A bit. It can be. Um, it can also okay. be the, simply the dehumanization of it. Right. So you're taking away everything that makes you a human person and you're becoming this useful object. Or, you know, if you're a centerpiece, you're becoming a thing for people to look at. You're no longer really, you know, human, um, if that makes sense, in air quotes that you can't see, of course. So (laughs) it's that kind of thing. Um, It can also be, you know, the endurance, right, of holding Uh a very certain position for a very long time. It can be a little bit of the masochism of having to hold a position until it hurts, maybe, if you want to go that direction with it. But a lot of it does stem, at least in my experience, from feeling objectified, feeling dehumanized, feeling maybe even degraded because you are now less than human, right? Right. Um, Or useful and practical as a service object. Now, I've always been interested to talk with somebody more about this, and it seems like you might be the perfect person to talk about this with, because I wonder how many people are listening to this podcast who may or may not be kinky, and they're just kind of like listening in and thinking that like, none of this sounds like sex to me, like none of this sounds sexual. And I remember thinking this back in college, we looked at, um, I think it was, I think it might have been Robert Maplethorpe, where I saw art and, and it was pictures of, of men pissing in other men's mouths and getting whipped and having things stuck up stuck up their ass. And I remember telling uh, my teacher in, in our group discussion, I was like, this isn't sex. 
Mm-hmm. And at my my understanding of sex at that time was such that it was for procreation, you know, let's hearken mm-hmm. back to our Catholic days. Um, and then he he opened my mind a little bit and said, well, sex doesn't necessarily have to fit inside that box of procreation. And then it became, well, is this art or is this not art? That's a whole other discussion. But what is sexual about being dehumanized and um you know a lot of the stuff there's you know like being flogged and and objectified there's no coming you know a lot of times in some of these scenes isn't it funny how we think that orgasms are necessary for sex to occur exactly right exactly um i think that things fit into a number of categories or on a spectrum of categories and that can be non-sexual intimate erotic and then explicitly sexual, okay? So when you're talking about something like objectification, it does matter uh, you know, what you're using your object for. You might be using them as a sex toy, and then it can be very explicitly sexual. It'll be way on the sexual side of the spectrum. Um, if you're just being of service, maybe it's somewhere between the non-sexual to intimacy because it feels intimate to be used in a way that makes you feel like you have a purpose for this person or that you're making their life easier or that you're being beautiful for them, right? Um, or, or something like that. Or maybe you feel exposed because you're naked and you're turned into a footstool and you're, you know, your ass is exposed and all that stuff. So that can feel erotic, but it's mm-hmm. not explicitly sexual because no one's uh, you know, putting anything in that ass. So uh, you have kind of a whole spectrum. And even if somebody's putting something in that ass, maybe Maybe it's still not, you know, uh, what you would think of as traditional sex. And so now it's somewhere between erotic and sexual, right? right? So things can fit into this spectrum in so many different ways, just depending on what your intention is. This is why people who are um, asexual, so do not necessarily feel um, any desire to have sex with somebody in an erotic way, Um, They can still fully engage in kink and feel connected and feel intimate and sometimes even feel a little bit erotic with their partner um, if they uh, want to be, right? Um, It it doesn't necessarily uh, take them out of that. They can still experience all those things because it's just about intention and it's about feeling connected and intimate with the person that you're engaging with. Ooh, I love that word intention that you said. It's about intention. And I think like if we can break it down even further, if you're, let's say, you know, two people are, you know, quote unquote, having sex, like the 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 old fashioned, old school, outdated version of sex that we think that has to result in coming. <laughs> and, um, and when that person comes, and maybe you don't have to come, you feel some sort of satisfaction that you got that person to come. You're like, wow, I have served a purpose. I have made this person feel good and that makes me feel good. Well, take that now to a further extreme. Now, as you said, I'm being used as a footstool or I'm being used to serve this person's satisfaction and to please them. And in many ways that can be extremely exciting and and sexual and erotic. And like you said, intimate, intimacy plays a huge part in it. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I want to go a little bit further into this. You have discipline, spanking, and role play. What kind of role play are are we talking about here? 
Well, for one, I love all role play. I'm definitely a role play slut. I love, <laughs> it's why I love pet play. It's why I love domestic discipline. It's why I love so many different things. I love creating sort of an alternative world for myself and my partner or client to exist in. I think that that's so fun. <laughs> um, so <laughs> for me, it's about that creativity of it and getting to kind of step out of the everyday world and create something completely new with another person. It definitely comes from the TV side of me a little bit, I, I won't lie, because uh, <laughs> it's similar, right? We're creating worlds yeah. together. And everybody who is opting into it is opting into this kind of new fantasy world. So role play can be, every, can, can be anything, excuse me. Um, but yeah, role play can be anything. Um, some of my favorites are domestic discipline, um, right. Okay. So the, the old school spanking in whatever setting that is, that can be in so many different settings. That can be teacher student. That can be, you know, parent to child. Um, love bringing daddy into that. Uh, that can be, you know, so many different kind of things. Um, and then let's see. I've really enjoyed some like tickle role plays, which is kind of weird, but I really like it. Um, I love hostage kidnapping kind of role plays, interrogation. Um, and then I also really love consensual non-consent role plays as well. That's been a big one, especially during quarantine, but also before it. <laughs> okay. So uh, what what are we talking about? We mean consensual, non-consensual. Is this consensual Something that is consensual, but that is played out to be non-consensual in the role? Yes, basically, okay. yes. Um, so big trigger warning on the word I'm going to use, but it can be force play, it can be rape play, it can be, um, you know, anything, like you said, that is consensual. So we've pre-consented to the activities that are going to occur, but within the context of the scene, within the context of the role play, um, usually the bottom is um, acting as if it is not consensual. And that's sort of the the framing of it. So they're getting that thrill out of something that they've already agreed to, but it's in their mind now they're they're clicking into a place where they feel like they're being taken advantage of or, or what have you. Yes. Okay. Have you ever seen that movie um Eating Out? before no should i <laughs> you should it's such a good movie i mean it's it's kind of cheesy corny acting uh but you can get it for like a dollar on itunes and there's this scene that opens up where um this girl opens the door for this plumber and and he like ends up she, she i forget how it plays out but he ends up like raping her or whatever and she's like no oh my god no and then at the end of the scene when they both came she's like did you did you come? And he's like, no, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you realize that it's a whole role play scene. Right. She wanted him to come in and like take advantage of her. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely CNC. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about your your pro-dom work. Cause it seems like you have like this whole slew of kinks we can go through, but let's talk about the pro-dom. Now, I'm looking at your your profile here on sanctuarylex.com. Um, and one of the things that I see, the very first one, hard limits, says no sex. And I think there's a huge misconception out there that people that work as pro-doms have sex with their clients. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, most, if not all, pro-doms that I know also do not offer sex. It's just simply not one of the services that we offer. There is nothing wrong if with a sex worker who does offer sex, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just simply not something that I personally offer. Um, so all of my play is 
more or less strictly non-sexual as far as, you know, uh, procreative type traditional sex that we've been talking about is concerned. Um, that doesn't mean it's not erotic. That doesn't mean it's not intimate. I am always fully clothed in all of my sessions. That's just simply how I like to do it. Um, it also, for me, kind of works into the power play of it, right? So mm -hmm. the client may be completely naked, but I will still be clothed. And so there's kind of an innate power differential there. There's an innate sense of exposure there if that's where they want to go. Um, but I do not offer sex. I do not, you know, offer anything that ends in job. So hand job, blow job, no, all, et cetera, all that stuff. Got it. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that. I And we've actually had Queen Anna Algos come on the show before. And um, it's so funny how she said like, oh yeah, my family basically thinks I'm a stripper because they don't understand what a pro-dom is, right. you know? And it's just so interesting that, you know, people will come into these spaces thinking that sex is, may or may not be involved and um, that's not always the case. Absolutely. Yeah. It's important to remember there are different types of sex workers, right? You have strippers, you have escorts, you have, you know, pro-doms like me. You have all these different types of sex workers. All of it is valid, but we do have different offerings. So make sure you know what the person you're interested in is offering mm -hmm. before you book or request anything. So let's talk a little bit about how you first got started into being a pro-dom. First of all, how did you even figure out what that was? From attending sanctuaries parties. Um, okay. Sanctuary is one of the first places that I really started to frequent when I moved to LA about wait, four or five years ago now. I think that's right. Maybe maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, <laughs> I think four or five is right. Um, so yeah, when I first started coming uh, to the kink community, I, I mostly went to sanctuary. And they make it very clear that they are also a professional dungeon. Mm -hmm. um, they are always open to interviewing potential uh, new professionals who want to work there. So I kind of always had that in mind and that's where it sort of entered my brain. Now, what was your first experience like being a pro dom and did you do this like on a one-on-one -on -one thing or did you just go up to sanctuary and say, hey, I wanna try being a pro dom? How did that come to fruition there? Yeah, I went to Sanctuary first. I did start as professional submissive, um, so <laughs> which was interesting. I was already kind of switching in my lifestyle life by that point, um, but I wanted to start from wherever they thought it would be best. Um, and I also do find some value in training at all levels. I do believe that uh, experiencing the lifestyle and experiencing the professional world as a submissive and a switch has made me into a more informed and understanding dominant. Um, I do think that has, it has had a really good impact on me um, in that way. So I did start as a professional submissive. So I went there and I was like, I'd like to work here. And we did the interview and you know they brought me on in that way. And I was a submissive for some time and then moved up to a switch. And then was done with it and moved up to a dom um, at that point because I had at that point decided no you know I don't I don't really think there's any any switchiness left much in me so I think I would be better off and more fulfilled as a dominant. Okay, now I do have a question about working as a as a professional submissive because I feel like if if you're in the dom role you're you're kind of more in charge of the situation. Um, what what is being a submissive like and how do you know who you're playing with? really has your best interests in mind and is not going to cross the line, you know, whether or not you make that discussion at the beginning. I mean, the people that may or may, I just, I guess I'm just trying to say like people who walk off the street and make an appointment with you, how do you know that you can trust them as a dom in this professional setting? 
Right. I think it's a shame that there isn't more education about professional submissives. Mm-hmm. Um, just at, at uh, the virtual DomCon LA that happened back in August of this year, or I guess of this past year now, um, I did a pro, uh, So You Want to Be a Pro Submissive panel, which was the first time I think I've ever even seen it talked about. Um, and it was so amazing to see these different experiences be shared and talked about because it is hard. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a skill. It's an absolute skill. You know, if you're submitting in a lifestyle sense, you are fully trusting someone with your body. You're letting go. You're maybe going into some kind of subspace, into some kind of headspace where you're really trusting someone, right? Mm-hmm. Within the professional sense, that is not so much the case. You are topping from the bottom. You, your job is essentially to make the client feel that they are in control when really you are, which is an art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wow. takes a lot to be able to do that. You have to hold your boundaries. You have to hold your limits. You have to, you know, if they're not hitting you right, you have to find the way to tell them um, in a way that either doesn't break the scene or maybe it does if they are going too hard or doing something really dangerous. Um, and you have to have the strength to do that. You do have to screen clients just as anybody else in the professional world does to make sure that they're going to be safe. Um, Sometimes people are pushy and you have to hold your own during that. So it's not easy, but um, the people who do it still today are incredibly strong for being able to do so. Wow. I'm just trying to imagine what that's like. You you really have to be an expert communicator then, because like you said, you don't want to take them out of their dom headspace because that's what they're there for. But at the same time, you have to kind of watch out for your own boundaries at the same time. You're fulfilling a fantasy while still remaining in control on the sidelines or, you know, in the back. So, I mean, what, what would something, what, what would like a, a a redirection, I guess you would say sound like, like, let's say I was a Dom, you know, and uh, you were the submissive and, and I'm maybe hitting you in the wrong spot or too hard. Like what's something that you might say to kind of redirect that? Right. Well, you if they have a title that they want you to use in honorific, you might go, oh, sir, that would feel so much better if it was here. You know, something simple like that. Mm, or you okay. might just move your body a little bit. Um, <laughs> or you might say, sir, you know, that hurt just a little bit. Do you think that um, you could do it this way? I think I would really enjoy that. Or I would feel so humiliated if you if you hit me here instead or something like that. Right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. You, you keep it kind of in in the vibe, if they go too far and they're not listening to you, then you you stop and you say, okay, yellow, you need to do it this way. You're hitting me too hard. You're not listening to me. If you do that again, we're going to stop the session. And that's okay. okay too. You know, you, if you have to put your foot down, you have to put your foot down. Um, but I would usually like to um, try to stay in the, in the role for as long as possible. Um, and that usually worked out just fine for me. And I'm 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 guessing that you have a discussion with them prior and say, hey, if I give you a redirection, make sure you're sensitive to that because I don't want to take you out of this headspace. Yeah, I mean, more or less, yeah. I mean, you're always going to have a negotiation ahead of time, right? Um, mm-hmm. When the person comes in, you'll sit down with them, discuss what you're, you know, going to be doing that day, uh, talk about any limits that you have, uh, make sure that they know that, make sure they know the safe words, all that, all that fun stuff, so that they know exactly. Um, what's going to be okay and what's going to not be okay before you go into session with them. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So I wonder if maybe you can answer the question of 
what the dynamic is like with COVID and, and, and still working as a pro dama? I mean, are you still taking clients or what kind of like protocols are in place to make sure that you're safe and your clients are safe? What does that look like? How has it changed the, the whole scene? Sure, it's very different. Now, this answer is going to differ between any you know pro domina that you're going to talk to, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody has their own um, safety boundaries and the things that they feel good with. For me personally, I do have some immunocompromised people in my household, so I do have to be extra careful. Uh, I'm also scared of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so at this time, I do most of my work virtually right now. Um, mainly because I I don't necessarily feel safe with most people that I don't know. Uh, The clients that I have been taking in person at this time are long-term clients that I really trust. I am extremely limited with the new people that I will see right now in person. I'm not 100% against it, but I mean, you've got to prove to me that you are 100% isolated, see no one but your dog, you know, in order for me to see you and then probably also still take a test. Um, That's just what I need to do. Uh, It's not ideal, but I have been enjoying the virtual side of things. So that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine that there's like a lot more mind fucking you'd have to do oh 100 percent! it's so fun to do that we love a good mind fuck <laughs> absolutely absolutely no i totally feel you with the whole covid thing and you know it's like you can quarantine you can get tested and all that but like unless it's somebody that you actually know it, it comes down to like can i actually trust that this person is doing what they're saying that they have no symptoms that they've gotten tested and you know they haven't seen anybody for two weeks and it just becomes like a lot of work it, it becomes just kind of complicated, you know, and I met with two friends that I really trusted during like this whole time. And after those two encounters, I realized, like, I didn't even really enjoy the experience because I had all of these worries in the back of my head the whole time. And, and just like, you know, at the end of the day, even though these were two friends that I really trusted, and that I've known for a long time, I don't know, it's, it just isn't worth it to me at this point to go out and like have a personal encounter. Right. That makes sense. It's it's definitely scary. And when it's somebody who's new, you know, they can answer all the right, all the right questions, right? They can say all the right things. And I'm still sitting here like, okay, do I believe you? Right. And I think that's an issue. And that is something that I ran into at sort of the beginning of the pandemic was, you know, I have this whole questionnaire, people would answer all the right ways. And I'd go, okay, but do I still feel good about it? I'm not sure. Right. So that's been an interesting thing to reckon with and has more or less led me to just say, okay, unless for some reason I trust you, like if you have really good references or if you're somebody I've seen in the past, I mean, unless one of those things is true, more likely than not, I'm just going to put you on a mailing list for when I am open for in-person sessions regularly yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's with me, with um, my two friends, like I, I've known them for years. We, you know, pre-pandemic would hang out all the time. So I felt like, you know, I could trust my two best friends to, you know, more than someone just randomly on the internet (laughs) filling up a questionnaire. (laughs) Uh, But it's just so funny. It's it's taken the whole like sex scene to a totally new, new level, um, you know. But anyways, okay. So I... (laughs) I actually, I don't know if you were there or not in person, but I went to Sanctuary's Champagne Room. Oh, yeah. I think I was featured on it. 
but okay. I was not actually there. <laughs> no, you were definitely featured. Because... <laughs> oh, great. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> I think I did the, I had, I had like um, some excerpts from my pup handler or my pup training class on there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. You were doing pup training on there. And it was so funny because they start, they were raffling off all these prizes. And towards the end, they were raffling off, you know, sessions with pro doms. Um, from Sanctuary. And I thought, oh my gosh, what if I win a session with Wiley Wolf? And that brings me to my next question. Um, I mean, do you ever work with gay men or people of other genders and sexual orientations? Or do you typically find yourself working with a certain type of clientele? You know, do, do you work with all kinds of people throughout the spectrum? I will work with anybody. Um, when it comes to play, I am open to anyone. It's really about energy at that point. When it comes to like, you know, romantic sexuality, official, that kind of stuff, then I'm a little bit more um, femme presentation leaning, kind of regardless of how you identify. Um, That just seems to be what I sort of gravitate for. But when it comes to, you know, either just DS dynamics um, or play, um, play partners, clients, anyone, everybody, please just come at me. I would say that generally speaking, there are more cis men in the circuit as clients than anything else. So men are mostly what I see just because that's who, who's around. Um, but I have sessioned with women before. I've sessioned with non-binary people before. I would be down for any of it. Um, I think it's wonderful. So I think it's, it's honestly a treat when somebody else comes through the door who isn't just a, a, a cis straight man. I think it's wonderful. As much as I love them and love playing with them, it's always like, ooh, something different. I love that. So those are just the, the kind of clients that reach out to you the most. Right. Okay, okay. Have you ever worked with a gay man before? I have worked with a, a gender fluid bi person who was assigned male at birth. And that was okay. one of the most beautiful experiences I've had. That was a virtual experience and... I love them. Um, so wow. yeah, I think that's the closest, but. Um, what was so beautiful about that like encounter? We were talking about just, you know, gender validation stuff. So they mm-hmm. identify a lot with femininity and wanted to do, you know, a sissy, sissification role play. So feminization. Um, and, you know, I had them dress up for me and it was basically an affirmation scene, which is centered around, compliments basically um and making them compliment themselves and compliment different parts of their body and complimenting how they look and overall being affirming and validating to me gender validation and gender affirmation as part of kink is one of the most important things that i like to do and it it really feeds my soul to be able to give that kind of home to someone that's so awesome so it sounds like you're open to doing you know whatever the client needs and it seems like even as a dom looking to satisfy the customer and maybe would you consider it like an act of service kind of yeah it's it is about the client right it's about me and what i like to do of course and my boundaries and limits and interests but at the end of the day you are providing a service you're providing a safe space for someone to give this deep truth to you Mm -hmm. right? Just like in any BDSM scene in the lifestyle. Um, They are in a lot of ways letting go. They're exploring a fantasy that maybe they've never gotten to explore before. They're giving a part of themselves to you. And that's really special. A lot of times dominatrixes are also kind of therapists. Um, So, and that's really important. And that's really important to remember um, when people are walking through the door. 
Now, have you ever followed up with any of your clients that have said, wow, like you totally opened this door to a whole new life for me? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, Novices that come in and want to just experience kink for the first time uh, and then come back and are like, oh my gosh, this is a huge part of my life now. Um, I've had couples come in and want to, you know, explore kink together. And then I'll get an email like a week later with, oh, we tried this new thing that you told us to try, or like we just bought our new toy or or stuff like that. And I think that's awesome. Um, It's really a, a wonderful thing to see. Wow, that must be so rewarding to like look back and be like, wow, I've had a huge influence on some people's lives and who may have not had the chance to explore this side of themselves otherwise. Definitely. I think that's the biggest thing for me is getting to see someone's truth and help them explore it and help them accept it within themselves. Beyond all the kinky, fun, sexy stuff, I also think that that is incredibly important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, every episode I like to ask this of our guests, and it's called Kinks Gone Wrong. And I'm sure as a pro dom and being in very many sexual spaces throughout your time in the kink community, you've maybe run across some situations where maybe the kink scene didn't play out quite the way you thought. Do you have any stories related to Kinks Gone Wrong? Sure. (laughs) I think one of the uh, least, (laughs) how should I say this? I think one of the grossest for my bottom experiences happened during a performance at Sanctuary. Um, My bottom was um, a partner. And (laughs) so the whole thing, since we have been talking about CNC, it is kind of around that. Um, So trigger warning for anybody who doesn't want to hear the uh, R word. Um, (laughs) Sorry, so many trigger warnings. Um, But anyway, so the scene that we were going to be doing on stage was going to be an explicit rape scene. I (laughs) was going to be in a gas mask and um, capture my partner and, you know, haul her up on stage and tar and feather her and then uh, rape her. So that's what we were going to do. Very casual, very fun. (laughs) Casual tarring scene. Casual (laughs) tar and feathering. Very fun. Very, very chill. Uh, (laughs) Yes. So the tar was supposed to be black wax, which I thought was going to be really cool, right? Because you pour Mm -hmm. the wax over the body and then you stick a bunch of white feathers to it and um, proceed from there. (laughs) But for uh, some reason, my crock pot wasn't working very well and I couldn't get the black wax to melt. So that's obviously not going to work, right? You can't pour solid black wax on someone. It's just not going to work. So I was in a bit of a bind looking for something that I could pour all over her that would still stick to her still like, you know, have the feathers stick. Uh Um, And the concoction that myself and the person, the the lady running the event came up with was a concoction, I would say from hell. And (laughs) my partner was not part of this process because she was doing something else at the time. So (laughs) I'm going to try to remember exactly what it was. I know there was a lot of honey, maple Mm -hmm. syrup doesn't sound bad so far. Um, something else coffee creamer to thicken it and i think like some kind of dye so the coffee creamer was the issue as soon as we put the coffee creamer in i knew that we had made a mistake um it was thicker it was um a tar like consistency so that was good but it smelled awful god awful terrible (laughs) so bad 
Um, but we had run out of maple syrup and honey by that point. So this is what we had to work with. Um, I showed it to my partner. She was like, that's disgusting. And I'm like, well, there's nothing else. <laughs> so we I was like, it's this or we're not doing the tar and feathering. And she's like, well, I'd like to do the tar and feathering because I think that that is better than you just fucking me on stage. I'm like, I agree. So <laughs> I'm wearing full pants. I have a gas mask on. I'm wearing my strap on. I have a taser because that's how I'm taking her down. Again, very chill, very fun. Um, <laughs> I, we've got the the bowl of uh, tar on stage. The music starts. Everything's dark. I surprised her. I didn't tell her where I was coming from, so I surprised her from behind with the taser, which scared everyone because it was in the middle of the audience. So if you can just imagine oh a taser going off in the darkness, we we did have a trigger warning at the at the uh, head of the performance, but outside of that, still very surprising. Uh, grabbed her, tied her up dragged her on stage, um, <laughs> proceeded to do all the other fun, kinky things we were going to do, impact, um, some knife play, I think, et cetera, um, ripped or I think maybe even cut her clothes off her uh, <laughs> and then began to tar and feather her. So tar goes on this disgusting, sticky, smelly, weird stuff <laughs> um i can't really smell it because i'm wearing gas masks so that's great um she said it smelled terrible which again i believe uh, we had the whole the whole stage uh tarped down and all that jazz um there is one thing i didn't think about is that it's not wax so it's not just gonna stay on her body and it's not gonna harden it's just gonna fall everywhere i was, I was wondering oh you're waiting for it oh yes well and i would like to remind you i'm wearing pants so i'm oh, wearing gosh. they were like black like a jean like kind of shiny material um so i'm wearing that and i'm going to be fucking her okay, okay. and with a gas mask there's also this really cute uh blind spot right where you know the hole would be <laughs> so i can't see and now i'm sliding um oh <laughs> because we're, we're you know in order to to really drive home the force play narrative um you know we're going to be doing it doggy style so okay. i push her down i'm on my knees i uh, i'm having some hard a hard time thrusting because i can't really uh <laughs> stop sliding everywhere and, i'm just imagining thrust Thrust, oh, thrust yeah. and slide, oh, yes. slide, slide, slide. <laughs> and I can't really see where I'm going because I can't feel my dick because I <laughs> it's not attached to me, really. So <laughs> I can't feel anything. And I did make it in, so that's good. Um, I made it in with less problem than I thought. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, with every... Uh, with every stroke, I'm also sliding back. So I'm pulling her back with every stroke, trying to look sexy um, because there's a whole audience watching us, but also not trying to slip out of her and fall on my face because I also don't know if I'd be able to get it in again. Right. So <laughs> luckily it did end up working out. <laughs> there was, by the end of it, this gross sticky tar stuff was all over the place everywhere thank god we tarped um <laughs> we more or less finished um it worked out and she smelled like that concoction i would say for the next 24 hours and it took me three washes to get it out of my pants oh god <laughs> but it was amazing and that was actually our first scene together so it was wow. beautiful <laughs> 
You made it work. I'm just imagining like the scene from a movie being like, shit, what do we have to work with? And then all of a sudden you're sliding around all over stage. Everyone's wondering if this is what's supposed to be the scene. (laughs) Yes. So that was great. (laughs) Now, did the feathers actually end up sticking or did they just go everywhere? I mean, they stuck, you know, I I don't think that they didn't move, you know? Um, (laughs) I think at one point I had to grab some more and throw some more on. But then another thing I didn't think about is that, you know, the feathers are going to stick to my fingers because I touch her and then I touch the feathers and then it's sticky still. So it was just a feathery, sticky mess and it was glorious and sexy and beautiful and disgusting. (laughs) I love it. Sexy, glorious, beautiful, and disgusting. (laughs) That should be the title of our episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love that. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Well, before we get going here, I do have a couple more questions for you. And I did want to ask you, for those who are just listening to your episode right now and maybe are exploring kink or BDSM for the first time, uh, what would be your message to those people? Do it. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You know, do it. Find, Find those spaces, virtual or not. If you are not in a place that has a lot of kink, see if you can find any virtual spaces or ways to connect with people. Um, If you are in a space that has kink around, go to your local dungeon. Um, If that's a little scary to you, go to a munch, which is a a meetup for kinksters that is in a vanilla setting. So you're not in a dungeon, no play is gonna happen. You're just talking to people like people. It's like a mixer, but for kinky people, it's great. I always recommend those to people. Another great way to meet people just generally, especially when you're in person is going to a class. Um, What I would always recommend to people when they ask me how to get into things is, you know, if you go to a class, you all just sat and watched the same thing. You have something to talk about. Mm -hmm. There's an icebreaker. You can look to the person next to you and say, what did you think of that? That's how I've met some friends that I still have today. Um, And you've also educated yourself. So bonus, right? Great. Um, And if you are too nervous to maybe go into the community right away, there is nothing wrong with seeing a professional. We can help you. We can help you explore things in a safe, consensual way. um, And there is absolutely no shame in that but just let yourself do it. It's okay. And lastly, if you had one mission in regards to kink and BDSM, what would be that mission and how would you accomplish it? My mission has always been to foster connection, education, and inclusiveness in BDSM. That is my whole MO. (laughs) That's all I want to do. How I'm doing that, hopefully, is by teaching all the classes that I teach. So I teach a lot of them, especially right now. And by continuing to make these spaces, right, that are Mm -hmm. accepting and welcoming and hopefully facilitate the kinds of connections uh, that last a long time and help people feel like they have a space to belong. That's so awesome. Well, I want to thank you again, Wiley Wolf, for coming on the show today. And before we go, how can we get connected? How can we reach out? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, The best way to uh, reach me is by going to my website. That will be worshipwileywolf.com. There's an E at the end of wolf. Um, That has pretty much everything, um, especially it will by the time this airs because I'll have updated my website. Um, But yes, so worshipwileywolf.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, my handle for that is WileyXWolf, again, wolf with an E. If you are interested in finding me on Sex Panther, you can find me at textwileywolf.com. 
Awesome. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. And uh, would you like to make any last statements to our audience before we wrap up? I guess I just hope that you've learned something and I hope that you are inspired to explore a little bit deeper in whatever your kinky life is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again and I hope to see you soon. Hope to see you soon too. Thank you. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And don't forget to check out the very many outreach programs we have available to us here in the Los Angeles area. The Alley Leather COVID-19 Assist, Bullet Bar Pantry, and LELC Cares are all ways that you can get assistance during these trying times of COVID-19. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kicky. Oh, <laughs>